Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. So first off, I have to give a shout-out to Adam from Nitromania and the AEW Rundown for joining the previous episode of this podcast, where we broke down the revelation of the higher power. Always a pleasure to have him on, and I really enjoyed doing the episode. So if you haven't already, please be sure to go back and listen to that one. And of course, be sure to check out Nitromania and the AEW Rundown as well. And on somewhat of a different note, be sure to stay tuned for the end of this episode, because I do have an announcement regarding, shall we say, the future of this podcast. Bit of a cliffhanger there, I know, but I'll save that for the end, so be sure to stay tuned for that. And very quickly, before we get into Monday Night Raw, I don't usually recap what happens on Sunday Night Heat, but there were a few noteworthy moments. So if you recall last week's episode of Raw, Test asked Stephanie McMahon out on a date, so Jerry the King Lawler interviewed Test on Sunday Night Heat and asked him how the date went. Alas, Test said that it went well, but he and Stephanie have decided to remain just friends. Hmm... But that wasn't all for Tess, though, because later on that night, he went one-on-one with Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental title, and, thanks to some interference from Ken Shamrock, Test beat Double J on Sunday Night Heat to win the Intercontinental title. However, when Deborah informed referee Harvey Whippleman about how Shamrock interfered behind his back, Whippleman reversed the decision, so Jeff Jarrett is still your WWF Intercontinental Champion. And then, one final noteworthy moment from Sunday Night Heat featured a brief interview with Too Much, the team consisting of Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor. But strangely, they're sporting a bit of a different look than usual. And in fact, let's take a listen to what they have to say. We're back on Heat, standing by Too Much, who just cost the Hardy Boys a matchup. And guys, what's up with the new getup? Hey, don't hate the players, hate the game, G. Yeah, we're the coolest cats in the litter bar. We're tired of all these suckers and friggin' in front of us thinking they cool. You tell them, homie. Yeah, like DX, the brood, and now the hearty boys. Yeah, just ask anyone. We were cool while they were still sucking on their thumb. <laughs> we were cool while they were pooping yellow. <laughs> Too much is no more. You got Stanley too hotter and Grandmaster Sexy. We the innovators. The originators. The master, but, oh, I mean percolators of cool. <laughs> Long live too cool. I don't know, two lame white guys pretending to be from the street. Sounds like a pretty annoying gimmick to me. I don't think it has any real chance of getting over. No way, no way. 
But anywho, with Sunday Night Heat being covered, let's dive in to Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, June 14th, 1999, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from the Worcester Centrum, now called the DCU Center in the present day in Worcester, Massachusetts. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include 16 episodes of Raw, 7 episodes of SmackDown, the 1991 SummerSlam Spectacular, Backlash 2003, where Goldberg defeated The Rock in his first ever WWE match, the very first episode of the newly rechristened SmackDown Live on July 19, 2016, which I attended in person, and of course, the January 4th, 1999 episode of Monday Night Raw, which featured my all-time favorite Raw moment, Mankind beating The Rock to win the WWF title. And by the way, as a final little side note, this is the 316th episode of Monday Night Raw, so yes, it is indeed Raw 316. Will that bode well for Stone Cold Steve Austin tonight? We shall see. So we open the show with a highlight package recapping last week's revelation that Vince McMahon was the higher power, followed by Linda McMahon subsequently stepping down from her position as CEO of the WWF, but not before she appointed Stone Cold Steve Austin as her hand-picked successor. And once that concludes, we then cut to footage from earlier today at WWF headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut. We go to the parking garage where the cameraman focuses on Vince McMahon's personal parking space. However, the label of reserved for Mr. McMahon has a big letter X spray painted over it, and there is now a skull logo painted on the ground next to the name of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Pretty amusing, they actually spray painted the parking space for this one-off angle. And from there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include I need a job Your sign sucks Sable who? No pants in hell HHH Hunter has herpes Tim White fan Jar Jar sucks There's a sign of the times for you Ghetto Jesus Haywood Jablomi is the whole effin' show Coming soon Monday Night Jericho a sign that simply says, Chuck Norris. Did Stephanie pass the test? Road Dog, I'll take it doggy style. Triple H's kids are made of China. And fittingly, after he was potentially rumored to be the higher power recently, we got a sign which simply said, Never bring back the warrior. Good advice there. So as soon as we finish scanning the crowd, we then cut to more pre-taped footage from WWF headquarters, and we start with Stone Cold Steve Austin addressing a line of workers who are standing in front of wheelbarrows. And let's just say that you may want to remember that little tidbit for later on in the show. Austin, by the way, is wearing his usual black vest and jean shorts, so clearly casual Mondays are in effect. So after addressing the wheelbarrow-carrying laborers, he then heads into the front lobby and speaks with a receptionist. So let's take a listen to how that goes. All right, guys, everybody's on time. I like it. I like it a lot. Tell you what, my first day on the job, I'm going to check out the office situation, make sure everything's cool. I'm going to come back. I'll get back with you. I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do, all right? All right. Hang tight. Good morning. Beautiful. How may I help you? All right, honey, what's going on? Good morning, Mr. Austin. How are you today? I'm doing good. You doing all right? Good, thank you. Are you working hard? Very hard, sir. All right. Uh, first day on the job, where's my office? 
Your office is on the top floor. Oh, excuse me one second. Good morning, World Wrestling Federation. What, what, what's that? Hey, hang up the phone. Hang up, hang up the phone. What was that? I was answering the Do you phone. always answer the phone like that? Yes. Sir. How long have you been working here? I've been here a year now. Let, let me take the next one. Let me. I'm going to show you how this is done. Give me that. Yeah, who the hell is this? Really? Well, what the hell do you want? Right, Vince McMahon. No, I fired that son of a bitch. Right. He comes back and, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll have the son just give you a call. And uh, remember, if I don't see you around here, uh, I'll see you around. Here. That's how it's done, honey. Can you handle that? Yes, if sir. If you can handle that, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right, where's my office? Top floor. Gotcha. Well, he's only been on the job for a few minutes, and already, he's a clear improvement. But we then segue back into the arena, where the entire corporate ministry is heading to the ring, and yes, the higher power himself, Vince McMahon, is joining them, along with Rodney and Pete Gass from the Mean Street Posse, who returned to the WWF last week. And as a quick side note, tonight, the ring announcer is... Howard Finkel, and it's actually been a while since the Fink has announced on Raw. They usually save him for the pay-per-views, and Tony Chimmel does Raw, so nice little treat there. But anyway, Vince grabs a microphone, and he says that last week was supposed to be a triumphant culmination of three months of scheming, but instead, it was ruined by Stone Cold Steve Austin. And because of that, people are speculating that the corporate ministry may be on the verge of falling apart, but Vince says that just isn't the case. He then reminds us that Stone Cold has booked himself to face Vince and Shane at King of the Ring, but that causes Vince to ask, what should the stipulation for that match be? So as you'll hear, Vince proposes some stipulations, and he uses those ideas to schedule some matches for tonight's episode of Raw. So let's take a listen to what Vince has to say. The only question is, Shane, what sort of stipulation... What sort of stipulation are we going to add to this handicap match? Now, there's been some debate, quite frankly, Shane and I will admit, as to what the stipulation should be. But I've got an idea. Try this one on for size. Go ahead. What if we engage Austin in a dog pound match? A what? I'm listening. I'm listening. Well... I think we need to see one first. Yeah. So let's take a look at a dog pound match here tonight. Why don't we take the road dog, Jesse James? Yeah. yeah let's, put, let's put a dog collar around his neck. <laughs> oh, yeah. And let's put a dog collar around the neck of Mr. Ass. Whoa. Let's connect those dog collars with a nice good old dog chain. What about that? A dog pound you match, boys, huh? Oh, you, right. That's going to be a heck of a match. That. Yes. I'm liking that. What a you match. You know what? This handicap match between Stone Cold Steve Austin and, of course, you and I, it's kind of like David versus Goliath. Of course, Austin being David and us being Goliath. Yeah. How about that for a match, Dad? How about that here for tonight? David versus Goliath match. Where in one corner, playing the part of Goliath, will be none other than... The Big Show. Whoa. In the other corner, 
playing the part of David will be none other than my buddy XPAC X-Pac. Well, that's, 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 not, that's not fair. Now what's going to happen? Will X-Pac be able to give the X-Factor to the big show? Or will XPAC go up for the ride to the penthouse and receive the choke slam from hell? <laughs> Shake's brilliant. I have another idea for you, speaking of hell. How about the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, the Acolytes, play the part of Vince and Shane in a special handicap match? And tonight, in this very ring, playing the part of Stone Cold Steve Austin, will be none other than Kane. Man, that's good. Yes. One man versus two. What if, well, what if we have a, a blindfold? Match. Oh, I'm like Austin in a blindfold. Look at this. But tonight, tonight we'll call it a blind date match. Uh oh. You see, why don't we put a blindfold on Test? Oh yeah. You see, Test, you broke the rules when you took Shane's sister, my daughter Stephanie, out on a date. So, Test, you're going to have a blindfold on, and your opponent, who will have 20-20 vision, the big boss man. <laughs> How are they coming up with this stuff on the fly, JR? They're brilliant. Boss man likes it. No, 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 no. I got it. What? The handicap match, king of the ring. The McMahons versus Stone Cold, and Austin's in... A straight jacket. Oh, come yes, on. A straight the, jacket match. That's, that's the best. Let's take a look at that tonight. And who belongs in a straight jacket? How about the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock? Yes. Shamrock in a straight jacket tonight. <laughs> Shamrock in a straight jacket will be opposed in a non-title match against someone who have full usage of all of his limbs, none other than Jeff Jarrett. Yes! Now, I assure you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that tonight is a night that you and the corporate ministry will remember for a long, long time. What do you think, Jay? Hold I'm it. In shock. Hold it. Wait a minute. Hold it for a minute. Patterson and Briscoe. The Stooges. Now, Vince, you look at me. Vince McMahon, I'm talking to you. I've known you for 20 long years. And, Vince, you damn know that your daughter, Stephanie, is my godchild. I understand, Vince, that business is business. But how in the hell can you put your lovely daughter... My God, child, to such an ordeal. How can you do something like that? Good question, Pat. It's business, JR. Come on. It's more than business. It's not business. Patterson, are you questioning my judgment? Yeah. You damn right I'm questioning you, and I want some answers. Listen, pal. You better get right with yourself and with me, or otherwise you don't want to hear my answers. Whoa. Is that a threat? Threat? What, Vince, let me tell you something. If this is a threat, you and Shane can go straight to hell. What? Man. And that's from one of McMahon's oldest confidants. 
And why you and Shane, Mr. McMahon, are on that trip to hell, you better stop and get your own damn coffee. What? Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Before you depart, since I own your two asses, oh, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you know what you're going to do? You're going to be in this ring tonight competing. Yeah. In a tag team match against Midian and Viscera. Yeah. Well, yeah. this will be a night for all to remember. So there you have it. Tonight on Raw, we have a full slate of interesting matches. The Road Dog Jesse James versus Mr. Ass in a dog pound match, which essentially just sounds like an old school dog collar match. The Big Show versus X-Pac in a David versus Goliath match. WWF Tag Team Champions The Acolytes versus Kane in a handicap match. Test versus The Big Boss Man in a match where only Test will be blindfolded. WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett versus Ken Shamrock in a non-title match where Shamrock will be locked in a straitjacket. And finally, because they interrupted Vince, it will be Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe versus Midian and viscera. Certainly, it appears as though we're in for an eventful night, so we shall see how this all goes down. And then, once that segment concludes, Jim Ross proceeds to introduce us to The Rock's Chef Boyardee commercial. Yes, if you watched this episode of Raw, you did indeed get chefy with it. And as a reminder, this commercial pretty much just features The Rock standing around while women are dancing near him, so that's probably the easiest paycheck he's ever gotten. And then, after a commercial break, we go back to WWF headquarters, where Stone Cold Steve Austin is walking through the hallways. And interestingly, as Austin is walking, he passes by several posters, which are hanging on the wall. The first one is the poster for the upcoming King of the Ring pay-per-view, so sure, that makes sense. The next one is a picture of Deborah standing around in a silver dress, so okay, fair enough. And the last poster he passes is a picture that shows China from behind while she's wearing a thong. So, if you visited WWF headquarters for a business meeting in 1999, you'd be walking to a conference room, and bam, there's China's ass just staring you right in the face. Honestly, it's a miracle that Vince McMahon hasn't been me too'd by now. But anyway, Stone Cold is on his way to Vince McMahon's office, so let's drop back in on the adventures of our new CEO. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the new CEO has apparently already been to his office and is now on his way to Mr. McMahon's office. What's he going to do there? Now get your ass back to work. <laughs> that son of a bitch. Hey, Vince McMahon. Welcome, Mr. Austin. Good morning, girls. Uh, you got to help me out a little bit here. I'm in a transition phase. Uh... Help me out. You are who and you do what? I'm Danielle and I get Mr. McMahon his coffee. When do you? That's real special. And you? I'm Giovanna and I get Mr. McMahon his Chateaubriand. I like a good wine every now and then myself. And I'm Jill and I'm their backup. <laughs> you're, you're the backup. And that's wonderful. All <laughs> Mr. Right. Austin, yeah. since it is my job, can I get you a cup of coffee? Yeah, well, it's already 10 o'clock in the morning. You don't drink coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning where I come from. I'll take a cold beer instead. Perhaps something to eat? You know, come to think of it, my stomach is rumbling a little bit. Uh, I'll have another cold beer. Can I get you a cold beer too, Mr. Austin? No, honey, but I will take a crown and seven. Oh, Mr. Austin? Yeah. There's a board meeting in five minutes. 
Mm, I don't like board games. So apparently, according to this vignette, Vince McMahon has one assistant for his coffee, one assistant for his steak, and another assistant who backs up the other two in case, what, one of them forgets how to add cream and sugar? I mean, that seems like a bit of a waste of money to me, but then again, this is a guy who started the XFL twice, so who knows? And by the way, I'm ashamed to admit this, but when the second assistant said that she gets Vince's Chateaubriand and Austin mistook it for wine, I didn't even realize he was joking the first time around. I was like, huh, Chateaubriand, that's a wine. Okay, then. Took me a second to catch on to the fact that it's actually a type of steak, so hey, I actually learned something today, which is not something that can be said very often when you watch an episode of Raw from the Attitude Era. But from there, we go back into the arena for our first match of the evening, and it is indeed the Dog Pound match booked by Vince just a little while ago. The Road Dog Jesse James versus his former tag team partner Mr. Ass in a match where both men are joined at the neck by a dog collar. Or maybe not, because when Billy Gunn emerges from backstage, he has a neck brace on, and he indicates to referee Tim White that he is unable to compete in the match. And by the way, this draws a sizable bullshit chant from the Worcester crowd, which I particularly enjoyed. I always appreciate it when the fans are so pissed off at a heel that they feel compelled to unironically let him know how much they hate him. I think we need more of that these days. However, Road Dog manages to outsmart Billy by telling him that Kane is right behind him, to which Mr. Ass quickly jerks his head around. Pretty clever. Tim White then pulls off Mr. Ass's neck brace, and our match is underway... But Billy jumps Road Dog before Mr. Ass has connected the dog collar to his own neck. And, in fact, Mr. Ass never puts on the dog collar in the entire match. Instead, he just chokes Road Dog with the chain and beats on him with it for a while. However, eventually, the D-O-double-G turns the tide and takes control. But that's when China makes her way down to ringside. Now, Road Dog and China are slated to meet each other in the King of the Ring tournament, so the Ninth Wonder of the World is keeping an eye on her future opponent. And so, when Road Dog attempts a pinfall on Mr. Ass, China slides into the ring and pulls Road Dog off of him before Tim White can count to three. And the match is no disqualification, of course, so it's perfectly legal. And from there, Road Dog turns his attention back to Billy Gunn, but he makes a bit of a mistake. He leaves the chain sitting on the ground without realizing that China has now grabbed the other end of it. And so China quickly lifts the chain and crotches Road Dog with it. And that provides the perfect opening for Billy Gunn to leap up and hit Road Dog with a fame asser. He makes the cover, Tim White makes the count, and yes, your winner of the Dog Pound match is indeed Mr. Ass. And after the match, China then enters the ring, wraps the chain around her fist, and proceeds to punch Road Dog in the face with it a whole bunch of times, actually drawing some blood in the process. She even starts choking him with the chain for good measure until Billy Gunn finally has to grab her and pull her away. And then, to add further insult to injury, Billy pulls down his pants and moons the Road Dog as he lies beaten on the ground. Gotta say, the match obviously wasn't much, but it was an effective segment, with Billy picking up an undeserved win and China really looking pretty aggressive afterward. The two XDX members are certainly looking strong as we get closer to King of the Ring. And from there, we cut backstage where Ken Shamrock arrives at the arena and he is immediately met by Sergeant Slaughter and three police officers. 
Slaughter says that Vince McMahon has ordered the three cops to keep an eye on Shamrock, but of course, the world's most dangerous man has no interest in that. Slaughter then says he has one more thing to tell him, but Shamrock storms off before Slaughter, presumably, can tell him that he's going to have to compete in a straitjacket match. And after a commercial break, we get a quick recap from last week's episode of Raw, where The Undertaker interrupted the cast match between Rock and Triple H. Taker then proceeded to chokeslam The Rock, followed by a tombstone onto a steel chair. And that provides a fitting segue, because after those highlights conclude, we go back into the arena where The Rock is heading to the ring. And by the way, for the first time in about a month, he is no longer wearing a cast on his arm, so it's good to see they've finally given up on that. And The Rock actually gets some rare mic time this week, so let's take a listen to what he has to say. Finally, The Rock has come back to Worcester! Undertaker, by getting involved in the Rocks match last week, you did one thing, and that is directly check yourself into the SmackDown Hotel. Directly. Undertaker, you think you impressed the Rock by coming out here with your Undertaker symbol and claim to steal souls of all those jabronis? Do you think you impressed the Rock by taking your eyes and rolling them up into the back of your head? Well, the Rock says if you really want to impress the Rock, then you will come to King of the Ring and you will put the WWF title on the line and go one on one with the great one. The Rock is not intimidated by the phenom. And Undertaker, when the Great One's music hits, do you smell what The Rock is cooking? And 20,000 asses are standing on their feet with goosebumps running through their body, all chanting The Rock's name, Rocky, Rocky. Undertaker, you bring your monkey ass to the people's ring and you come and you try and sacrifice the people's champ. But here's the twist. Instead, Undertaker, of taking your eyes and rolling them up into the back of your head, The Rock says, take your entire 33-pound head, turn it backwards like the exorcist, have it roll down your back, catch it with both your hands, and then, Undertaker, The Rock says, take your own head and proceed to shove it directly up your candy By the way, as if you couldn't tell from that clip, this Worcester crowd is going insane for The Rock. It really is a sight to behold, and again, it makes me wonder why Rock isn't getting promo time every single week by this point. Remember, he got over as a corporate heel by running down his opponents every single week, and yet, since he's turned face, it seems like the WWF higher-ups have been saying, eh, that won't work if he's a good guy. But as you could tell here, it works quite well when he runs down his opponents. And so, The Undertaker does indeed show up at the top of the ramp to answer The Rock's challenge, 
and Taker even gives us a bit of wordplay himself, saying, quote, I've crippled more people than polio. So, there's a nice dated reference for you. And yes, The Undertaker does indeed accept Rock's challenge for a match at King of the Ring. However, Vince and Shane McMahon then emerge from backstage, and Vince declares that he will indeed make that title match for King of the Ring, but only if Rock beats The Undertaker tonight in a non-title match. And naturally, Rock does indeed accept the challenge, but Shane McMahon has some final words. Since tonight is a night of stipulations, there will also be a stipulation for Rock versus Undertaker tonight. Unfortunately for The Rock, though, he won't know what that stipulation is until right before the match. So what will it be? Well, I guess you'll just have to stay tuned. And then, before we go to commercial break, we cut backstage where your WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett and your WWF Women's Champion Deborah are walking around. And then, of all fucking things, we see Bruce fucking Pritchard frantically run past them down the hallway while holding the dog collar from the opening match, and he says something which the microphone doesn't pick up, but we can hear Jeff Jarrett's reaction to it as he says, quote, did he just try to make a pass at you? So, to recap, Bruce Pritchard, running for no reason, holding a dog collar for no reason, says something sexual to Deborah as he's scampering away. And this has literally zero bearing on anything else that happens tonight. So, I got nothing, folks. And now I'm just mad that I had to see that dipshit on my computer monitor. But I guess that provides a fitting segue, because when we come back from break, it is now time for our next match, and it is for the WWF Women's Championship, Champion Deborah, accompanied by Jeff Jarrett, versus Ivory. Yes, you heard that correctly. Even though Deborah has been feuding with Nicole Bass for weeks, Ivory, despite not being on Raw for the past several months, is now the number one contender to the women's title. Okay, then. But speaking of Nicole Bass, just seconds after the match begins, Nicole does indeed emerge from backstage and come down to ringside, and she immediately makes her presence felt because, well, just take a listen. Oh, Devin now, taking Ivory's up, that scarf and Jeff Jarrett up on the apron. Jarrett's got the referee distracted. So, as you heard there, with Jeff Jarrett distracting referee Mike Kyoto for some unknown reason, Nicole Bass snuck into the ring and started choking Deborah. Essentially, picture Nicole Bass doing the setup for a choke slam, but instead of lifting Deborah up, she's literally just standing there and choking her. And then Ivory used that opportunity to roll up Deborah, Nicole left the ring, Kyoto turned back around, 
He made the count. And yes, your winner and the new WWF Women's Champion is Ivory. Now, remember, Deborah beat Sable for the title last month in an evening gown match, purely because Sable didn't want to take a bump, but the WWF needed to get the belt off her, so they did a quote-unquote match where there were no actual wrestling moves. But of course, now Deborah has the belt, and she's not a wrestler either, so I'm guessing the logic here was to put the belt on Ivory, who actually was a pretty experienced worker at this point, having started wrestling in 1986. Presumably, they looked at the roster and said, well, shit, our women's division is basically a joke, so we might as well put the belt on Ivory even though we've barely used her in months. Fair enough. As for this relationship between Ivory and Nicole Bass, I'm not sure if it goes anywhere, but my guess is probably not. I suppose we'll find out together. And from there, we once again go to WWF headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut, where Stone Cold Steve Austin has apparently decided to drop in on that board meeting after all. All right, gentlemen, and I use that term somewhat loosely. The reason I call this meeting here today our first meeting together, so maybe we get to know each other on a one-to-one basis here. What I hold in my hands is a new orientation manual, and I expect each and every one of you to memorize this thing front to back, back to front, whatever you got to do. You've got to understand what direction this company is now going. You take that, and if he can't read, you read it to him. Let's start living room his office supplies that way so I can see you. Let's get to know each other. Let me ask a few questions, find out what you do, what your damn names are. Something good. You do what and you are who? I'm Dennis O'Rourke, Senior Vice President of Marketing, Research, and Development. Really? Is that supposed to impress me? I hope so. Well, you're fired. (laughs) What do I do? You're fired for looking stupid. Now get your ass out the door. I said get your ass out the door. I never did like that guy. He's been here nine years. I'm looking so much at your ass on the way out. Nobody ever knew what he did. I hope got some more smart asses here. Hey, blockhead. Yeah, you. Me? Yeah. What's your name? My name is Jason Vasquez. Well, what do you do? I'm a mailroom clerk here. Would you like a promotion? Hell yeah. Well, then come over here and sit your ass down. You got your promotion. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Right. Your job is this. If I snap my fingers, damn it, I want a beer and I want it now and I want it open. You got it. You can't promote him. Does anybody have a problem with Jason's promotion? Yeah, I do. I said, has anybody got a problem with this promotion? Yes, sir. All right, let's continue the meeting. I'm getting really getting to know you guys. You, you do what? My name is Kevin Albanese. I'm the director of MIS. Hmm, you get some pudding hanging off your nose there. What does MIS mean? Mingling shit. Um, no, Stone Cold. I'm in charge of your computer department here at the World Wrestling Federation. Tell me more. He's a nerd. Uh, I take care of any... No, no, I don't want to hear more, because what I want to do right now is have a good old-fashioned beer-drinking contest, because I want to find out exactly where you guys stand. The rules are simple. I'm going to pass out this beer. Jason, pick up all that damn beer that you spilled earlier. Did you do that at your house? No, sir. Then you won't do that here if you want your job. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Stone all right, I'm going to pass you some, some beer. You I want everybody to drink up. The rules are this. When I come back in this room, if you're still standing, you still got a job. What is he doing? If you're not standing, if you land on the ground, puking and and vomiting all over the place, that means your ass is fired. There has never been alcoholic beverage in this boardroom. No slackers here. Here, They drink every day at lunch. There you go. Hot shot lawyer. Two out of two hour Drinking those damn martinis and stuff. Snap my damn fingers. I better have one. Gentlemen, start drinking right now, and that's the bottom line, because the new CEO says so. Maybe I'll get this right. So there you have it. Stone Cold is firing longtime WWF employees, replacing them with mailroom clerks, and ordering the remaining employees to compete in beer drinking contests. Pretty great stuff. 
And by the way, I looked up that guy named Dennis O'Rourke, the guy Stone Cold fired, and in actuality, he was with the WWF slash WWE until he retired in 2013, so fear not, that firing didn't stick, just in case you were wondering. And after some more commercials, we go to footage from During the Break, where Pat Patterson is ready to walk out of the building to avoid having to face Midian and Viscera, but Gerald Briscoe catches up to him and tells him not to let Vince McMahon win like that. And even better, Briscoe has a plan, so Patterson trusts him, and he comes back into the building. What is this genius plan? Well, let's just say, prepare to be disappointed. And from there, we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is the blind date match, Test versus the Big Boss Man. And remember, only Test has to wear a blindfold. The Big Boss Man does not. And early on, Boss Man takes advantage of that opportunity by sneaking in some punches on the defenseless Test. But then, for some reason, Boss Man starts yelling at Test, which is a pretty dumb move because it tips Test off as to exactly where Boss Man is standing. And sure enough, despite being blindfolded, Test manages to tackle Boss Man to the ground and start punching him in the face. To which the frustrated Boss Man then gets up, goes over to one of the corners, grabs his nightstick, and smacks Test in the head with it right in front of referee Teddy Long. And as you might expect, that results in a disqualification. Poor Boss Man, he can't even win a match when his opponent literally cannot see. And after the match, Bossman appears ready to beat on Test even further with the nightstick until Stephanie McMahon runs out from backstage. Stephanie begs the Bossman not to inflict any more punishment, and presumably because she's the boss's daughter, the big Bossman does indeed leave Test alone and head backstage. Now, remember, last night on Heat, Test said that he and Stephanie had decided to just remain friends, but it certainly appears as though Stephanie is a bit more than friendly with Test here. I wonder if we'll get any further answers on that in the coming weeks and months. Hmm, quite the mystery. And from there, we then go back to WWF headquarters, where CEO Stone Cold has made his way to the Human Resources Department, so let's see how that all goes down. Human Resources, just where I needed to go. Stone Cold looking for the uh, Director of Human Resources. There you guys are, I'm looking for you. Hey, I'm digging the power tire at you. Let me get a good look at that. Beautiful. You got the cutout going. You might have some potential. That's Matt DeLuca. Well, I'm going to introduce myself. Stone Cold Steve Austin, CEO. You are what? And what do you do? My name is Sarah. I'm a human resources specialist. Sarah, human resources specialist. Let me see what we can do here. Sarah, why don't you use your resources to go get old Stone Cold a couple of cold beers? Excuse me? I'm moving or losing. I know I'm thirsty here. I got meetings to do. Wait a minute. I appreciate the respect. Yeah, Sarah. Hey, I'm not here to hit you, son. Relax. Relax, all right? You know what we have here. Well, let me tell you what we have here. This is an orientation manual. Do you understand that? What I want you to do with this is to memorize it front to back, back to front. I want you to know the direction that this company is going in. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Because you know what might happen? Do you know what might happen? Yes. I might come back and quiz you today, tomorrow, whenever, about the contents of this manual. Something easy, like, let me see, start you off with something basic, like, uh, here we go, we'll do this one. Austin 316 says... I know that one. Well, give it to me, kid. I just want your... It's okay, go ahead and say it. I'm, I'm telling you, CEO, I'm giving you permission. Profanity is allowed here. Austin 316 what? says... I just want your... Don't say it! Ass. Oh, my... 
There's a brown nose for you, JR. You got to work on your attitude, son. You know, come from here. Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. See, I knew you had some potential, kid. Now, do you know where I counted you? Right down the hall. I'm going to lead the way. Look at this. What a brown nose. Look at the beak on this guy. Look at the swagger now. Matt DeLuca's got an attitude. So, first of all, talk about segments that wouldn't fly in 2020. Stone Cold telling a woman in human resources to get him a beer and, quote, move it or lose it, honey. Hashtag, it was a different time. But as for Matt DeLuca, it appears that he actually has some potential because he has a Stone Cold cardboard cutout in his office and he's even wearing a tie with Stone Cold on it. And I actually went ahead and looked this guy up. So according to Matt DeLuca's LinkedIn profile, he started with the WWF in January of 1994, and he leaves the company in October of 1999. So yes, he's gone only a few months after these skits take place. Perhaps Vince McMahon wasn't happy with his on-camera performance here? Who knows? But at least he shall forever live on through the WWE Network, giving the worst line reading of I Just Whipped Your Ass in recorded history. And from there, we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is the David versus Goliath match, X-Pac versus The Big Show. But before the match begins, Big Show grabs a mic and says that he wants no part of the match, so he's apparently willing to completely forfeit it. However, X-Pac then grabs a mic and says he understands where Big Show is coming from, but he prides himself on fighting for a living, so he might as well bring it on. And so the bell rings, and X-Pac immediately kicks Big Show, to which Show responds by simply chucking Pac right over the top rope and down to the floor. But as soon as that happens, the lights go out, the flames explode, and yes, X-Pac's tag team partner Kane emerges from backstage. So Kane enters the ring, but X-Pac does not appear interested in having him fight his battles for him, so he tries to hold Kane back. To which Kane responds by punching his own tag team partner right in the face. Kane then lifts his arms and makes Flame shoot out of the turnposts, but that little waste of time allows X-Pac to get back to his feet, and he hits Kane from behind with a spinning heel kick, knocking him down to the ground. Big Show then goes over to the fallen Kane to check on him, so X-Pac hits Big Show with a spinning heel kick, which sends Big Show over the top rope and down to the floor. Yes, you heard that correctly. X-Pac just kicked Big Show over the top rope, because that's how you should be booking your brand new 7-foot monster. And initially it appears as though Big Show is ready to go back into the ring and continue fighting, but then he just says, eh, screw it and heads backstage as the former tag team champions are left bickering with each other. And it's actually been a while since they've done the X-Pac and Kane are a dysfunctional tag team angle, but it appears as though they're going back to that well for some reason. I will say, though, the crowd was very much into the prospect of Big Show and Kane going head-to-head, and apparently that match has now been booked for King of the Ring, so they're going to get their wish. But yet again, I have to ask, if you want Big Show to get over as a babyface... Why are you booking him against another very popular babyface? I asked that exact same question when Show was booked to face Mankind in the Boiler Room Brawl at Backlash just weeks after his face turn, and I still have no idea what they're doing here. Why is the WWF committed to cooling down their new prized acquisition as much as possible? Your guess is as good as mine, folks. 
And from there, we cut to an ad for the new Stone Cold Steve Austin baseball jersey. And I just have to say, they actually strike while the iron is hot here, because in the ad, they literally call it, quote, the official baseball jersey of the new CEO. I just thought that was a nice touch. Kind of makes the angle seem like it's going to go for a while, but a bit of a minor detail, but I did appreciate it. And after that break, we go into the arena for our next match, and it is... The straight jacket match, WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett, accompanied by the now former women's champion Deborah, versus Ken Shamrock, who is accompanied by five police officers. And of course, only Ken Shamrock is required to wear a straight jacket. One amusing moment that I have to note here, so Shamrock does his usual pre-match routine of standing on the ring steps, but because his arms are fastened into the straitjacket, he can't punch himself in the head, so instead he just looks to the sky and yells, which I thought was a bit unintentionally funny. But when the match begins, Ken Shamrock initially fares pretty well for himself, because he's able to use his legs and kick Double J. Eventually, though, Jarrett tackles Shamrock by the legs and takes him down to the mat, but Shamrock is impressively able to reverse it by locking Jarrett in a leg grapevine, so pretty clever maneuvering here by Shamrock. But Jarrett is then able to work Shamrock over for a while by elbowing him in the face and kicking him in the corner, but then Shamrock manages to turn the tide. He runs at Jarrett and hits him with a shoulder block, followed by a drop kick, and then, with Jarrett down on the ground, Shamrock does what I can best describe as a figure four chokehold. Basically, just picture someone attempting a figure four, but doing a head scissors around your neck. I'm sure there's probably a legitimate name for that move, but I'm not actually sure what it is. A figure four head scissors chokehold? I don't know. Let's just go with that. But the more important part of the story here is that Double J taps out. So yes, Jeff Jarrett your new Intercontinental Champion, was put into a match where his opponent couldn't even use his arms, and he still lost cleanly. Not exactly making your Intercontinental Champion look all that strong there. And after the match, referee Tim White pulls out the key to the straitjacket, but Vince McMahon runs down to the ring, punches Tim White, steals the key for himself, and runs off backstage with it. And so, Ken Shamrock is still stuck in the straitjacket, so he angrily kicks the ring steps until the segment ends. And I've got to say, I don't know how long this Vince Shamrock feud goes on for, but I do admire the continuity here since Shamrock is the one guy who stayed loyal to Vince after he was kicked out of the corporation, but Vince was, of course, just fooling him the entire time. So, pretty good storytelling there to continue that feud. And so, after a commercial break, we get our weekly dose of GTV. This time, the hidden camera has been positioned in Billy Gunn's locker room, and, well, let's just take a listen. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is, it's, it's just a, you know, a wonder of the world. Right. You know, it's, it's more, it like, is an honor for you to sit there and shave my ass. It's something that you probably want to take home and put on your mantle, isn't it? Um, I think I see something here that doesn't... <laughs> You ain't kidding me, you see something. You see a lot of ass. No, I believe I see a zit. You see what? A zit? Hey, that's my lively... What did you do? You did something with those clippers. I know you did. I did? All right, yeah, yeah, you did. If you tell anybody, I mean anybody at all, that you've seen a zit on my ass, you will never, ever again have the privilege of shaving my ass. 
So apparently Billy Gunn must be doing pretty well for himself because he has his own assistant who shaves his ass for him. Or I guess maybe she could be called an assistant, huh? or, or maybe not. But yes, apparently Billy has a pimple, which is clearly a big deal if your name is Mr. Ass. Potentially career-ending, I dare say. Hopefully, he'll recover soon. So we then go back into the arena for our next match, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe versus corporate ministry members Midian and Viscera. Now, remember, earlier tonight, Briscoe told Patterson that he had a plan for how to deal with the situation, and we apparently see what that plan is right off the bat. Both of them just grab steel chairs and head into the ring. So, yep, that was Briscoe's genius plan, folks. Just go ahead and grab a couple chairs. So Midian and Viscera stand at the top of the ramp, but while the Stooges are waiting for them in the ring, the Mean Street Posse enter from the crowd and sneak up on them. Rodney and Pete Gass hit the Stooges with low blows, and that allows Midian and Viscera to enter the ring. So Midian hits Briscoe with a neckbreaker, and Viscera then hits Patterson with not one, but two big splashes. And naturally, this gives Jim Ross the chance to make another wink-wink, nudge-nudge reference as he says, quote, That's the largest man that's ever been on Patterson. Get it? And then Viscera hits two splashes on Briscoe for good measure as well. So clearly, Gerald Briscoe didn't exactly come up with the best plan there, now did he? But I dare say that this epic feud between the Stooges and the Main Street Posse must continue. And speaking of continuing things, let's go back to WWF headquarters, where CEO Stone Cold is now heading over to the accounting department. Right this way, Steve. What's that? Right in here. I'll take it from here, Tiger. Crazy son of a bitch. All right, Chief, how you doing? Good. This good. accounting, am I correct? Yes, sir. It's all the numbers go on the pieces of paper, everything like that, right? That's this is the place. I want to see some books. Uh, books! Which, uh, which set of books do you want to see? How many books you got? Just give me some damn books so I can look at some numbers here. Which set? How many sets are there? Let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. Beautiful. I'm not an accountant, but I'm smart enough to see what's going on here. Okay. What's the deal with some, a lot of big numbers here? How come they're written in red? Well, those are those are losses. Losses? Yeah. Well, while we got losses, we need to be making money here, and I know we're making money. Why are these losses? Well, well some people tear up tight fronts. losses from... from some incidents you were involved in over the past like year? What? Well, well, there was the Zamboni incident and the, the limousine yeah. incident and the beer truck. And, and the nah, house, yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Tight enough, enough Let's go into some different figures here. Okay. That's a hell of a figure there. What's, what's your story on that? Well, that, that's Vince McMahon's salary. <laughs> Somebody's just making that much money? Well, he does all right. I guess he does. I'll tell you what I want done. Take a couple of these zeros uh-huh. and put them behind Mick Foley's salary because the son just needs a little help in his medical bill. What? You understand me? Can do that. Let's move that along here. Can you do that, Kenny Jr.? Yeah, yeah here right. you go. That's a good number. What's the bill on that? Oh, that's uh, Shane McMahon's salary. Shane McMahon is making that kind of money? Yes. I'll tell you what we want to do. We want to change Shane McMahon's salary and just scratch that off. We want that. That is now the beer budget. The so, beer budget? You, know, beer budget. you said what? So I have to say, I do really appreciate the callbacks to all the properties Stone Cold destroyed over the past year when he drove the Zamboni, the beer truck, the monster truck, and so on. Pretty funny stuff. I also had to get a chuckle out of Stone Cold reallocating money to Mick Foley to cover his medical bills. I was hoping he was going to say, as of right now, every wrestler on the roster gets health insurance, but obviously not going to happen. So we then go back into the arena for our next match, and it is the handicap match for the WWF Tag Team titles. 
champions, the Acolytes versus Challenger, Kane. And yes, Howard Finkel does in fact announce that this match is for the titles. I had assumed it would be non-title since it's a handicap match, but no, apparently the belts are indeed on the line. So in theory, if Kane wins, I guess he could then say, I am the tag team champions, or no, that'd be too ridiculous for the character. That wouldn't make any sense. So anyway, early on in the match, Kane actually fares surprisingly well against both men, despite the odds not being in his favor. But then the tide began to turn once all three of them left the ring and started brawling on the floor. Specifically, when Farouk Irish whipped Kane over toward Bradshaw, who then nailed him with a clothesline from hell, taking Kane down to the arena floor. And then back in the ring, the Acolytes continued to work over Kane, with Bradshaw going for yet another clothesline, but this time, Kane ducked, grabbed him by the throat, and nailed him with a choke slam. He went for the cover, but Farouk ran into the ring to break up the pinfall. Kane then turned his attention to Farouk, but while he did that, Bradshaw rolled out of the ring and grabbed a steel chair. Farouk then distracted referee Jimmy Corderas, which allowed Bradshaw to hit Kane in the back with the chair, followed by, you guessed it, an unprotected chair shot to the skull. Bradshaw then tossed the chair out of the ring so Corderas wouldn't see it. Farouk picked up Kane for a back suplex, and Bradshaw grabbed Kane's neck, essentially turning it into an assisted neckbreaker. They hit the move, Bradshaw made the cover, Corderas made the count, and yes, the Acolytes just pinned Kane. Now, I know that might not sound all that surprising considering this was a handicap match, but seeing Kane take a pinfall loss is pretty damn rare. So I had to go back and check to see when the last time was that Kane got pinned on either television or pay-per-view, and the answer is the UK-only pay-per-view capital carnage from back in December when Stone Cold pinned him in the main event Fatal 4-Way match. Or, if you don't want to count that one, then his last pinfall loss was at Survivor Series back in November when The Undertaker beat him in the Deadly Game Tournament. So even though it was a two-on-one handicap match here tonight, I feel like it's no small feat that they wanted to give the Acolytes the rub by scoring a pinfall on Kane. And after the match, X-Pac ran into the ring with a steel chair of his own, and he appeared to be challenging the Acolytes himself. Farouk and Bradshaw seemed willing to go for it, but then Kane did his Michael Myers sit-up routine, so the Acolytes immediately scrambled out of the ring. The tag team champions then ran off backstage with X-Pac and Kane in hot pursuit, so presumably this feud must also continue. And we then cut backstage where we see Ken Shamrock in his locker room and he is still locked in the straitjacket. Shamrock is yelling a lot and kicking things, but then he manages to actually break the shackles on one of the arms of the jacket, so apparently he has actually managed to free himself. I assume that doesn't bode well for Vince McMahon, but we shall find out. And speaking of Vince McMahon, after another commercial break, we once again cut to WWF headquarters, where CEO Stone Cold has arrived at Vince McMahon's office, and at this point, we find out the reason why Stone Cold enlisted the help of those workers with wheelbarrows at the beginning of the show. And as you'll hear, we cut back and forth between Stone Cold in the office and Vince and Shane at Raw watching Austin's antics on a television monitor. So let's take a listen to what Stone Cold does next. You see Vince, after spending the entire day going over the day-to-day operations, the new CEO of the World Wrestling Federation has determined that what you need here is just a little more bullshit. Because I've been walking around in it all day, I might as well be swimming in it. I got a little something for you. 
What's he doing, JR? How many beers is he drinking? All in moderation. Oh, look at you this. Know the boys, bring that shit in. Bring it on in, boys. It's something it's what whole is room that? is full of bull. That's JR. Get out of the way, son. Come on, is. bring your bull in. Come on. I, I want to pile up Oklahoma. See, this, That's is, this man, this is exactly what I think about you and your little cover. Don't go, Steve. I'll go spare no expense. We'll let in. Damn, come on, boys. I said bring in some more bull. We got a good pile here, but this ain't good enough. Come on, Mr. Man. Bring it on the fly. Yeah, double on the rest of pile. Dunk beetles. The bottom line is, Vince, this place smells things. like <laughs> Vince, get out here. Oh, look, now Stump goes. He pe- oh, he's pouring he beer is. on it. I bet it's high quality cow manure. Well, the McMahons are headed our way after Vince has just seen his office filled with cow manure. Thanks to Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're going to see some re- CEO. So, yes, as you heard there, because Stone Cold has been dealing with bullshit all day in his new role, he feels that it's only appropriate if he has his new employees wheel in actual bullshit to Vince's office. Or maybe cow shit, at least. And Austin then puts the capper on his first day at the office by pouring a can of beer on the pile of manure as well. And as you heard at the end there, Stone Cold's antics cause an angry Vince and Shane to storm out of their office back at Raw and head toward the ring. But before we get there, I wanted to share one quick story here. Now, obviously, on the Over the Edge episode of this podcast, I delved into quite a few Owen Hart rib stories, but there was one in particular I didn't mention, and this Stone Cold segment kind of reminded me of it in a roundabout way. Now, when it comes to this particular story, I had heard it referenced several times, but I had never seen anybody actually confirm that it happened, until I did some Googling, and I came across Jimmy Corderas's book, the three count, my life in stripes as a WWE referee. And yes, I'm as surprised as you that Jimmy Corderas has his own autobiography. But fortunately, in that book, Corderas does indeed back up this story, so I will briefly take you back in time to In Your House, Seasons Beatings, from December of 1995, where Henry Godwin and Hunter Hearst Helmsley were scheduled to have a hog pen match And yes, that match is literally what it sounds like. The only way to win was to toss your opponent into a muddy hog pen, which was full of actual live hogs. And so, let's quickly read from Jimmy Corderas' book. Quote, Now, the WWF does not carry their own hogs and pigs with them. The animals had to be rented. I have no idea where one would rent these animals for the day, but those in charge found some. Early that afternoon, a truck arrived to deliver the farm animals that were going to be roaming freely in the pen while the match was taking place. The production manager was looking for somewhere to temporarily house these pigs when, lo and behold, who should appear but none other than the prankster himself, Owen Hart. With everyone at the production meeting, including Mr. McMahon and all the agents, Owen took it upon himself to help find a place to store the pigs. With the swine in tow, Owen directed the delivery fellow down the hall and into a room. With the pigs securely in the room, Owen escorted the delivery guy back to his truck. No one saw the sign on the door that Owen cleverly concealed. It read, Vince's office. Once it became evident, everyone was laughing and terrified at the same time. What if Vince thought the crew had put them in there? As everyone discussed what the next move was going to be and whether someone should move the animals out of Vince's office, the production meeting let out. As the chairman made his way down the hall towards his office, the guys considered running, but decided to stay within earshot just to hear his reaction. 
Mr. McMahon entered his office, and you could only imagine the incredibly shocked look on his face. A few seconds later, he burst out of his office, half-smiling, screaming for Owen. No one said anything to him, he just knew who it was, and actually had a good laugh about it. Even Vince McMahon appreciated Owen's sense of humor. End quote. So my point being, in a roundabout way, I'd like to assume that Stone Cold filling Vince's office with cow shit was a tribute to that time when Owen was presumably responsible for filling his office with pig shit. But even if that wasn't the inspiration, I feel like we could all use more Owen Hart ribbing stories in our lives, so you're welcome. You're welcome. But anyway, getting back to Raw, after a commercial break, an angry Vince and Shane do indeed emerge from backstage and head to the ring, and it appears that watching Stone Cold act as the CEO has given them an idea for their match at King of the Ring. Austin. Stone Cold, you have disgraced the World Wrestling Federation with your mere presence in that beautiful edifice of the World Wrestling Federation World Headquarters. Austin, I won't forget and I won't forgive what you've done on this on this day. But hear this, Austin. We can't wait for the opportunity when you no longer will be the CEO. So this is our challenge, Austin. Uh-oh. We take this CEO title of yours. We take Shane's stock in the company. We take Vince's stock in the company. And you take all of that and you hang it. You hang it above a ring at the king of the ring. And the only way to reach up and grab it all, Austin, is by climbing a ladder. Oh, no. That's right. Austin versus Shane and Vince in a ladder match, Austin. Yes. That's the stipulation. Wow. With only one other stipulation, by the way, to come tonight. What? What? What's that mean? And that relates what? to you, Rock. Oh, okay. If you can be victorious in your match this evening with The Undertaker, then, Rock, you will have your title shot at the King of the Ring. It's a promise. However, remember that very special stipulation, Rock. What is it? And that stipulation oh. for tonight. Hey, wait, wait a minute. That's Shamrock's music. So after teasing various stipulations all night, Vince McMahon has finally figured out what the stipulation will be for the match at King of the Ring. It will be Vince and Shane versus Stone Cold Steve Austin in a ladder match with the winning side earning full ownership of the WWF. Certainly not the direction I had expected them to go in when I originally watched this episode back in 1999. Also, this is one of those moments when I just love wrestling because in storyline, Vince and Shane McMahon 
are willing to risk losing their entire billion-dollar company to a Texas redneck in a friggin' ladder match. I mean, how high are your standards, folks? It's so ridiculous that I just can't help but to tip my cap to all involved. And then Shane is about to reveal the stipulation for tonight's Undertaker vs. Rock main event, but before that can happen, the now straight-jacketless Ken Shamrock runs down to the ring and nails Shane with a belly-to-belly suplex. Vince McMahon manages to run off backstage, but now we have no idea what the stipulation will be for tonight's Undertaker Rock match, or even if there will be a stipulation. Also, it should be noted that it looks like Vince shoved Shane into Shamrock so that he could escape, so that was a pretty amusing little moment there. And I've got to say, I really have zero recollection of Ken Shamrock getting this sort of mini-feud with the McMahons. Remember, last week he was due to face Vince in the lion's den before Jeff Jarrett interfered, and now he's suplexing Shane and chasing Vince out of the building, so very surprising that they're still giving him a bit of a push here. And after some commercials, we then get footage from During the Break, where Vince runs to his limo, tells the chauffeur to start driving, and they speed off out of the arena in order to avoid the wrath of Ken Shamrock. Will the world's most dangerous man get his hands on the chairman? Perhaps we'll find out next week. And from there, we go back into the arena, where it is indeed time for our main event, WWF champion The Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer, versus The Rock in a non-title match, and if Rock wins, he will get to face Taker for the title at King of the Ring. So will there be a stipulation for the match? Well, when The Undertaker makes his entrance, we quickly find out the answer to that question. Instead of a one-on-one match, it will actually be a triple threat match, The Undertaker versus Triple H versus The Rock, to which I say, sign me the fuck up. But now, The Rock will have to overcome two members of the corporate ministry in order to earn his title shot at King of the Ring, so pretty steep odds there. And as you might expect, this is a triple threat match in name only, because really, it's more of a handicap match with Taker and Triple H working over The Rock. And there were a few times when Rock was able to mount some offense on one of them, but as soon as he gained control, the other corporate ministry member would then cut off his momentum. And then, a few minutes into the match, all three men started walking up the ramp to the top of the stage, and as you might recall, Triple H threw the Rock off that very stage about a month ago, resulting in Rock having to wear a cast. 
I thought we were about to get a similar spot there again, but no, it was basically just a temporary detour, and then all three men just headed right back to the ring. Okay, then. And at this point, Taker then prepared to do his signature rope walk spot, but while he was on the top rope, Rock punched Triple H, causing Hunter to fall into the ropes, which knocked Taker down to the floor. Pretty clever spot. And from there, Rock then knocked Triple H down and slingshotted him into one of the corners, but referee Earl Hebner was standing there, so the force of Hunter colliding with him knocked Hebner down to the ground. The Undertaker then re-emerged and hit Rock with a choke slam, and he signaled for the tombstone, but Rock escaped and nailed Taker with a rock bottom, followed by a people's elbow. Rock went for the cover, but unfortunately for him, Hebner was still knocked out and couldn't count. So backup referee Mike Chioda then ran to the ring and counted the one, the two, but not the three, because China pulled Chioda out of the ring and leveled him with a forearm. But then, with Rock still covering Taker, Earl Hebner did indeed regain consciousness, and then he counted one, two, and also not three, because Triple H broke up the attempt. And so, let's pick things up from that moment. The Rock is up somehow. Victory just slipped through the Rock's fingers there. And he may not get a second opportunity tonight. Oh, oh China thought that was... Wait, China, China, that was the Undertaker! China inadvertently tripped the Undertaker. No! She must have thought it was the Rock. So what you heard there was China doing one of those nonsensical spots where the person outside the ring just assumes that she's going to trip the right person, so she looks away and accidentally trips her own stablemate instead. And in this case, Undertaker tried to Irish whip the rock off the ropes, but rock reversed it, and because China was kind of looking away at the time, she stuck out her arm and tripped the Undertaker instead. Rock then clotheslined Taker over the top rope, and when he did that, as punishment for that accidental tripping, the Undertaker grabbed China by the throat. And upon seeing that, an unhappy Triple H grabbed Taker's hair to try and stop him, so Taker dropped Hunter throat first over the top rope. Triple H then turned right back around into a rock bottom. Rock made the cover, Earl Hebner made the count, 
And yes, The Rock just defied the odds and beat both corporate ministry members, so he will indeed face The Undertaker for the WWF title at King of the Ring. However, once the match was over, China got in The Undertaker's face, which enabled Triple H to jump Taker from behind. So yes, we then had a brawl between The Undertaker and Triple H, the two top members of the corporate ministry. And speaking of the corporate ministry, the other members of the faction then ran out from backstage to try and separate both men, and that was how the show went off the air. And so, just one week after revealing Vince McMahon as the higher power, they're apparently running with an angle where the corporate ministry is disintegrating when they should theoretically be at their strongest point. Go figure, there's that unpredictable Vince Russo booking for you. But we now have two matches lined up for King of the Ring. Stone Cold versus Vince and Shane in a ladder match for ownership of the WWF, and The Undertaker putting his title on the line against The Rock. Not too shabby, at least on paper. But we're not done just yet, so on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slam it like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap So last week on the episode where they revealed the higher power, Raw's ratings shot all the way up to a 6.67. And this week, even though the episode was pre-taped six days in advance, they basically did the exact same rating with a 6.66. 6.66, fitting rating for when the corporate ministry is on the show. And meanwhile on Nitro, last week they put up a 3.18, and this week's episode of Nitro was one night after their Great American Bash pay-per-view, so did they see an appreciable increase? The answer is, no, not really. They went from a 3.18 to a 3.26, so also pretty comparable. And speaking of the Great American Bash, that brings me to this week's excerpt from the book, The Death of WCW, by R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. In regard to the Great American Bash, here is what they have to say. Quote, Then the wrestling started, and man, was it ever bad. Van Hammer versus Mikey Whipwreck? Horrible. Ernest Miller versus Horace Hogan? Atrocious. Ric Flair versus Roddy Piper? Abysmal. Rick Steiner versus Sting? Miserable. And worse, nobody could figure out who won, since it just ended when Sting got attacked by three dogs. Yes, as in actual canines, end quote. And by the way, they ain't lying about that because during their match, Sting and Rick Steiner brawl backstage, at which point Tank Abbott attacks Sting, and then, as Chris Jericho might say, Scott Steiner releases the hounds. Fight goes on. Hey, hey, Tank Abbott's backstage. Tank Abbott, choking Sting. And there's Big Papa Pump. on Sting! Sting, that's it! Looks like a Doberman! It's two Dobermans, Tony! Brutally attacking Sting! Look, look at that one, they're ripping his knee! Another one! That's a Rottweiler! This was all planned! Oh, no! Security's coming in! 
apart. They re- Two Dobermans and a Rottweiler. Brutally attacking Sting. And in case you were wondering, yes, there was quite a bit of clever editing there, so we can't see Sting's face at several moments. Presumably because, you know, they're not going to subject the real Sting to working with trained attack dogs. Although, hey, with WCW, I guess you never know. And by the way, when they cut back to the crowd, the Baltimore fans then proceeded to greet that segment with loud, bullshit chants, and I can't say I blame them. And as for the main event of the show, Kevin Nash defended his WCW world title against Randy Savage, and the match essentially devolved into a schmoz, with several members of Savage's Team Madness getting involved. But most importantly, we also got an interesting return to WCW at this point. Yes, that's right. WCW's big idea to draw more interest in the product was to bring back Sid in 1999. Pretty questionable decision to say the least, but hey, certainly no worse than signing Master P and Dennis Rodman to big contracts as WCW did the week prior. And so with that being said, let's go to Monday Nitro the following night, and here's what you could have been watching over on the TNT network. Kurt Hennig and Barry Windham defeated Brian Adams and Vincent... Billy Kidman defeated Hugh Morris, Ernest Miller defeated Scott Norton, Van Hammer defeated Disco Inferno, Fit Finley defeated Brian Nobbs, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn, and Buff Bagwell defeated Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Diamond Dallas Page, and Canyon. Hack versus Rick Steiner went to a no contest. Conan and Rey Mysterio defeated La Parca and Psychosis. And in your main event, Kevin Nash versus Sid also went to a no contest. But the big story of the night was the fact that there was a familiar face seated ringside at Nitro, which Eric Bischoff proceeds to reference on commentary. See if you can figure out who it is. My goodness. I mean, I've been known to pick up a Playboy magazine from time to time to read about myself or to read the articles, but I know, I have no idea what she's doing here. I guess you just (laughs) never know who's going to show up at WCW Monday Nitro. As you could probably guess there from that creepy Eric Bischoff commentary, that was indeed Sable, or, well, the artist formerly known as Sable, 
sitting in the front row during this episode of Nitro in Washington, D.C. And hey, kudos to Sable's lawyer. She just left the WWF. She's in the process of suing them, and she's somehow able to appear on their competition just a few weeks later. Pretty impressive. And in case you're wondering, does this lead to Sable jumping ship and becoming an employee of World Championship Wrestling? The answer is, uh, no. This is literally her only ever appearance on WCW television. And frankly, I'm shocked that Eric Bischoff never even made her an offer. I mean, come on, Master P gets big money, but you can't shell out for Sable? Come on now. And yes, I know Sable is still technically under contract to the WWF at this point, but they settled their lawsuit next month, so she's pretty much a free agent after that. So how does Bischoff not at least make her an offer? As hard as it may be to believe, there were multiple episodes of Raw where Sable's segments got higher ratings than Stone Cold Steve Austin's segments, so she was a proven ratings mover. I mean, if you're Bischoff, you've got to at least make a play for her, right? Or maybe not, I guess. Clearly that money will go a lot farther when it's spent on Dennis Rodman. Uy. And on that note, let's take it to the Raw Synopsis. So honestly, I think I'd give this episode of Raw a mild thumbs up. The segments with Stone Cold at WWF headquarters were pretty damn funny, and we did actually have some rather lengthy television matches, at least by Raw standards. The Acolytes vs. Kane went for five and a half minutes, and the main event, Rock vs. Undertaker vs. Triple H match, went for more than 11 minutes, which was definitely a pleasant surprise. Plus, the promos by Vince and Rock were entertaining, so I can't really complain too much. I suppose my one big nitpick would be the fact that they jobbed out their new Intercontinental Champion to Ken Shamrock, who literally didn't even have the use of his arms. Not a great way to make Jeff Jarrett seem like a worthy title holder, but hey, at least they took the belt off Deborah, I suppose. So yes, I'll go ahead and give this one a thumbs up, and if I could recommend one thing from this show to watch, it would obviously be the Stone Cold CEO vignettes. So if you haven't already, be sure to check those out, and you can thank me later. And before we wrap up, here are a few notes from this week's edition of the Wrestling Observer. There's not a lot going on this week, but there's certainly quite a bit of negative news from the WWF from a legal perspective. Sable sued them last week, and as expected, Martha Hart filed her lawsuit against them this week. And if that wasn't bad enough, they were also sued by the Kuwaiti television announcer that Vader attacked two years prior. That would be three big money lawsuits filed against the WWF in the span of about seven days. Ouch. And speaking of Sable, she actually did an interview with TV Guide this past week to discuss her lawsuit. A couple quick notes here. She claims that almost all the wrestlers are on drugs and even a fair majority of the ring crew and stagehands as well. She said she told WWF officials many times about wrestlers cutting holes in the women's locker room and she was ignored every time. And TV Guide asked her why she was okay with posing for Playboy, but not doing a quote-unquote accidental mistake like the WWF had asked her to do, where she would accidentally expose her breasts during a match. And Sable's response to that was that adults can make the choice to buy Playboy, but at a wrestling show, you have children in the audience, which honestly, I think, makes sense to me. In additional news regarding the higher power... Meltzer reports that, surprise, surprise, having Vince be revealed as the higher power was indeed a last-minute decision. WWF officials had actually asked Mick Foley to do it, but he turned down the idea. And really, 
I can't blame him because that might have made even less sense considering the fact that Triple H blasted him in the knee with a friggin' sledgehammer one week prior. Would have been quite the logic leap for Foley to then join Triple H's stable seven days later, I dare say. Regarding the Great American Bash, Meltzer notes how WCW did not sell out Baltimore Arena for that pay-per-view. And in contrast, the WWF ran a house show one month ago in the same building, and they sold it out, even though Stone Cold and The Undertaker weren't even on the show. So clearly, not a good omen for WCW. And finally, on another note about the Great American Bash, as I had mentioned a little while ago, Sid was brought back to WCW for the first time since he was fired from the company in 1993. And you may recall that the reason he was fired back then was because he stabbed Arn Anderson 20 times with a pair of scissors. And so, did anyone tell Arn that they were bringing Sid back? Of course not. He literally found out when Sid showed up at the arena for the pay-per-view. Sid is apparently good friends with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, so, you know, it pays to be friends with the guys on top, even if you had previously tried to murder one of the guys that you now have to work with. Oy. So there you have it, there's this week's news. But now, as I teased at the top of the show, I'm going to take a moment to address the future of this podcast. So this episode is going up in early May 2020, and I haven't mentioned this on the show previously, but my wife will actually be giving birth to our son in late May or early June. So with that being said, once my son, D'Lo Gangrel Hugepex, is born, frankly, I'm just not exactly sure how much time I'll be able to dedicate to the podcast. Now, granted, I could probably half-ass it and put out some episodes where I didn't do my usual lengthy process of writing, researching, editing, etc., but then it just wouldn't be the Raw Attitude Podcast, now would it? I don't know if it comes across, but I am a perfectionist when it comes to this show. And that's not to say that every episode is perfect, but it's a very involved process just to complete a single episode. For these solo shows that are usually around an hour and 15 minutes long, it takes me, and this is not an exaggeration, about 30 hours on average just to churn out one show. And it's significantly longer than that for the pay-per-view mega episodes, obviously. And in case you want an idea of how much work I've put into this podcast, if you add up all the scripts for these episodes, it comes to just under 750,000 words. And as a quick comparison, the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy of novels contains 733,000 words. So yes, I have officially surpassed Tolkien, folks. And oh, by the way, I'm not even halfway through the Attitude Era yet. But of course, with that being said, it's a labor of love, and I've had a ton of fun doing this show over the past four and a half years. I literally had no idea what the hell I was doing when I started back in 2016, but in the years since, I've had multiple people reach out to me directly who told me that I had actually inspired them to do their own one-man wrestling podcast, and that's pretty goddamn cool if you ask me. For people to consider me a trusted enough source that they actually want my advice for how to do their own show, I think that's awesome. Not to mention that the feedback I've received on the podcast over the years has been overwhelmingly positive. Even if people disagreed with me about something, they always did it in a very respectful way. I never got a tweet or an email that was basically just, Hey man, fuck you, or anything to that extent, which I think is actually a pretty great testament to the fans of the Raw Attitude podcast, I would say. But anyway, getting back on topic, essentially my announcement here is, well, not much of an announcement. It's more like a stay tuned. Essentially, don't expect a new episode as often as I'm churning them out now, but don't unsubscribe to the podcast either. 
We'll see how it goes as I make this transition into first-time fatherhood. And with all of this being said, I will try to get the next episode done in advance so that I can post it in early June when I get some free time, or if I get some free time. I'm not guaranteeing I'll be able to get an episode out for June, but I will try to make the time for it. So again, stay tuned, and we'll see how it goes. And so, on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. Or, of course, if you're more of a fan of that whole brevity thing, just rate us five stars on iTunes without writing a review, because that's very helpful too. I have nothing further to add about this episode, and so, with my son on the way very soon, I feel that it would only be appropriate to end this episode with the most famous birth in wrestling history. So I hope you enjoy that, and I will catch you next time, maybe. Try that. Try that. Come on, Doc. Come on, Nate. You're doing fine. Push, push, push.